The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com All right. Okay, uh, that's it. Let's uh, take out our Bibles. Let's go to Micah chapter 2. Today we're going to be focusing in on verses 1 to 5. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. While you're turning there... The 2015 American Freshman Survey asked thousands of incoming students about their goals and aspirations. The highest proportion, 81.9%, checked becoming very well off financially as an essential or very important life objective. But research indicates that if we pin our hopes of happiness on money, the research is showing that we are likely to be disappointed. While the literature is complex, there is good evidence to suggest that beyond a basic level of security, increased wealth is only slightly correlated with an increased self of, uh, sense of well-being, and the correlation tails off after $75,000. Interesting. It tails off after $75,000. Uh, the researcher, uh, John Haight, he observes wealth itself has only a small direct effect on happiness because it so effectively speeds up the hedonic treadmill. So what happens is he's saying is that the more that you get, the more money that you get, the more selfish you become. And then the more you're going to need the more you're going to want. And it just continues to grow and it continues to speed up. So, you know, the, one of the things they were talking about in the research is they were talking about the, the speed of it. So, you know how like a lot of people, you know, that's the, that's the saying that goes around, you know, get rich quick, right? We want to get rich quick. Well, what they said, it's really interesting. Getting rich quick, you would think would bring a lot of happiness, but the faster you get money, it's like turning the treadmill up faster too. So all it does is the faster the money comes, the more selfishness sets in and the more selfishness begins to increase. You speed that up, it just speeds up the selfishness. It just continues to go. It correlates, right? So he says this. So it speeds up the hedonic treadmill. At, as the level of wealth has doubled or tripled in the last 50 years in many industrialized nations, the levels of happiness and satisfaction with life that people report have not changed. Wow. With all the increase, nothing has changed. And watch this. This is another thing that they said. They report, the life that people report have not changed and depression has actually become more common. So, speeds up the treadmill, speeds up the selfishness, and it also brings in something that might not have been there in the first place called depression. Interesting that for some of us in society, all that we covet in life will not make us happy, and in many cases, it might actually make us more unhappy with life. Because in reality, family, money can only buy so much in the grand scheme of things. And yet, we keep coveting. Our society keeps Coveting. We still covet, we still press, we still yearn, and the communication for many who have is not necessarily favorable. They become more and more unsatisfied. They always need more, they always want more, they just can't get enough. We think, you know, some of, the, some of my, my friends, you know, I, and I do believe it or not, have some friends that are pretty wealthy. And when I always talk to them, I like to ask them questions before we start in on talking about the family and all this. I like to ask them questions about the wealth and, and all that stuff because I'm just you know, curious about all these kinds of things. And the thing is, is that what some of them will actually say is they think that in life, once you get all this, it's like, okay, when is the rat race going to stop? When is depressing? When is the ignoring your family and ignoring your friends? All of these types of things. When is that going to stop? Oh, Shane, you know what? It's going to stop when I, I, just, I just need a little more. That's what he would say. I just need a little more. And then he gets his raise and he gets the bonus and they get the bigger house. 
And I'm just like, okay, wow, you got a whole lot, man. What's, what's going on, okay? Are we going to settle down? We're going to start living life? No, you know what? I was just thinking, man, I just, there's a couple of additions I want to do to the house. You know, I, I know I have one fishing boat, but, you know, my wife doesn't like to ride with me, so we're going to get her a boat and, you know, all these different. And so it's just a little more. And then after you get all that, then it's just a little more. And it's just a little more. And it just always becomes a little more. Becomes it just. All it's going to take is just a little more. Many do tell me then that they're more miserable today than they were when they were poor. But family, we still covet. We still think that it will somehow be different for us. And I have to fight that in my mind too, you know. I'm like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm mature in the faith. If wealth comes my way, it'll be different. You know, we like to think that. We like to, to think that for us, it's going to be different. Somehow it will be different for us. It won't be that way for me. Or we just don't believe what these people say. We've got to find out for ourselves. And it reminds me of that DC talk song that I used to love to sing all the time, where they sing, some people got to learn the hard way. I guess I'm the kind of guy who's got to find out for myself. And we do that. And we feel like we got to do that. Somebody's got their Fox News app on. I just heard the the bell. (laughs) Some people got to learn the hard way. I guess I'm the kind of guy who's got to find out for myself. Family, we're warned. We are urged. We are dissuaded. And yet we still want it. We can't be told. Nope. We have got to find out for ourselves. You know, and it's, it's kind of like this. Hey, Shane, whatever you do, Shane, whatever you do in life, let me give you some advice. Whatever you do, do not take crystal meth because if you do, it will destroy your life. It will destroy your family. You will be addicted for life. It will damage you physically. It could possibly kill you. And our response is, thank you, kind sir, for your care. And thank you for your kind warning and all your wealth of experience. But you don't understand. I have got to find out for myself. But did you know that it's not learning things, it's not just that we're learning things the hard way, we're also putting ourselves in the way of judgment. But the learning the hard way for this is the wrong way. Okay, learning the hard way for this, it's the wrong way and it's also the broad way that leads to destruction. Now I'm stuck. Now I'm deceived. And now I call good evil and evil good. I call darkness light and and light darkness. And now we look up and we look at God and we say, who is God? Coveting does not just affect us in the here and now. We will experience the consequences of coveting. We are going to experience it for eternity. It seems that we do not understand just how serious coveting is. This is a horrible, horrible sin. Family, hear me today. You will regret coveting when it's time for judgment. Because I don't think we really understand what coveting really is and what coveting really does. But we're going to see today. So let's take a look. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night thinking up evil plans? You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. But this is what the Lord says. I will reward your evil with evil. You won't be able to pull your neck out of the noose. You will no longer walk around proudly, for it will be a terrible time. In that day, your enemies will make fun of you by singing this song of despair about you. We are finished, completely ruined. God has confiscated 
confiscated our land, taking it from us. He has given our fields to those who betrayed us. Others will set your boundaries then, and the Lord's people will have no say in how the land is divided. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so awesome to us, Lord. Father, I pray that your word will continue to impact us. Your word will continue to uh, be with us, Lord. Transform us. And I pray that you accomplish all that you intend for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is we're going to look at uh, the reason for the crime that's bringing the coming judgment of God on the people. And the second thing we're going to look at is see the plan of salvation from what God has taken to what God has given. So our thesis statement today is this, and uh, for those of you that don't know, our thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Uh, Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to be lost in the true insanity of coveting, it is the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see that all that should be desired is Christ and Christ alone. So, point number one, the crime. What sorrow awaits you dead men walking? Here we got the Hebrew hoy. Anytime you see that, I think I've said this before in, in many of the minor prophets because they use this all the time. The Hebrew word hoy, in some of your translations, it will be alas, or some of your translations, it'll say woe, or, uh, uh, or in some of your translations, it will say what sorrow awaits. This is a common word that's used that the prophets are, are using in a way to grab your attention. The reason why this is common or why this is important is the word is commonly used to signify death. It is understood six times. It is used for mourning someone who has already died. So if that's the idea that that this is mourning, this is the word that's used to mourn an individual who has already died. Well, what, what, what in the world are you talking about here, Shane? These people are still alive. Yeah, that's the point. Right here, it's signified. God is saying to these people, you are already dead. Yeah, sure, you're breathing, you're walking, but you are dead. It's done. It's already happening. You are dead men walking. The Lord is referring to them as dead men already. You know how, you're, how you, you know, people will say this? You see this in TV shows, especially when it comes to the mafia. You know what? I'm looking at a dead man while they're having lunch. Do you realize that you're a dead man? Look at me. Look, you are already dead. That's the idea. That's the, the concept that we have here. So grabbing their attention, the Lord is referring to you as a person who's walking, yet you are already dead. You, dead men walking, are so consumed with coveting that you spend all day and all night thinking up evil schemes to acquire more and more. Dr. McKay, he writes, these people are so intent on amassing wealth that they spend sleepless nights devising schemes to satisfy their desires. So hopefully after church today, when we leave today, that we will have a check in our hearts from here on out every time we're up awake and we can't sleep at night. We got to ask ourselves the question. Are we stressed out about being overwhelmed with life, concerned with life, concerned about our kids? Or are we overwhelmed and concerned and worried about our plan, the things that we planned to get what it is that we desire? Or are we up at night worried and concerned because we don't have the stuff that we need to have? Figuring out how we can get what our neighbors have. Not necessarily taking it from them, but making sure that we're keeping up with the Joneses and we at least have what they have. I went over to their house last week. They have a trash can that they spent $5,000 on because it talks to you. You give it, you put trash in the trash can, it says thank you in all different languages. And we're up at night going, how am I going to get that trash can? 
I suppose I could sell my golf clubs. I could sell some of my shoes. Um, We got three kids. We could sell one of them. (laughs) But that might not be enough. (laughs) Up all night, worried, concerned, planning, and scheming for the stuff that we don't have. Coveting? It's not a good thing if we're doing this, and we should be concerned. Psalm chapter 36, verse 4. Psalm 36, 4. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. They make no attempt to turn from evil, and this is not just sinful. This is something God hates. Serious, family. This is a serious thing. It's not just sinful. This is something that God hates. And then we see other things that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18. A heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong. Hearts that plot evil and feet who race to do wrong. That sets up the next part of Micah, doesn't it? The next part of the accusation sets it up well. Rushing into evil. Essentially that. God detests hearts that plot evil and feet that race. Feet that can't wait to do wrong. Rushing into evil. What does he say here in Micah? Then you rise at dawn. Up all night, scheming. Up all night, trying to figure out and devise this plan in order for us to acquire what we desire. And as soon as the sun comes up, we are eager to carry out the plan that we planned. You race to do what's wrong. It's not simply a race to get out of the gate to get busy. It's not even just that the idea of the first thing in the morning is just the speed of it. It also shows what it is that gets them out of bed in the morning. Ooh, did you see, you see that? It's also showing the motivation as to why they wake up and do what they do in the morning. You know, for many of us, we've got motivation, right? What's our motivation to to get out of bed? It's not the alarm clock. The alarm clock is to remind us of our motivation as to what it is that we need to do to go to bed or or to wake up in the morning, right? Got to go to work. Got to run the chores. Got to take the kids to school. Got to work out. You know, and if your motivation to wake up in the morning is to work out, that one's really hard, right? It's showing that this is the motivation. God is saying, first thing in the morning, you guys wake up. It's not just the speed at which you're doing. It's also showing me the motivation as to why. Why are you excited to wake up in the morning? You're excited so that you can jump on And work the plan that you had just planned to get what it is that you want. What are our feet rushing into? What are we wanting to do at the crack of dawn? What are we motivated to accomplish the next day? So then we move and we continue to go with the accusation. Then we get to this next part. Now, I will admit when translating uh, this Hebrew phrase here for this next part, It was a little fuzzy, you know, because it's trans, you know, essentially it's translated that that you do this because you have the power to do it. You have the power to to commit these crimes. You can do what it is that it is that you're wanting to do. But it was really interesting because when I'm when I'm translating this, the 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 literal translation of this phrase is for their hand is for a God. And I was like, wow, that's kind of bizarre to say and to get the idea of you have the power to do so. But scholars will say this. In the more literal translation, what that's actually saying is they worship their own strength. Oh, yeah. They find their comfort. They find their hope. They put their trust in their own abilities. Or, what's even more prevalent today, is your own position. Whoa. 
yeah, we should be trusting in God, but you know what? I'm not trusting in God. I don't need to trust in God. I'm the president of the United States. Ooh, that wasn't actually a political thing there, I was just saying. Okay, if it makes you feel better, I'm the king of England. Putting our trust in our position instead of God. When we're in a situation, we're in a bind, we've got a problem, we normally would seek God. But if you are seeking trust and comfort from your position instead of God, and this is what Mike is talking about here, putting our trust in our own abilities. The idea that people on this, or in this oracle is focused on those who are able to commit the crimes. These are people who are in positions that can take advantage because people have to trust them, right? People have to trust them. These are people who have the ability to carry out these crimes. They're in positions of influence. They can do these things. They're in positions that require trust. They have the power. And the bit, here's another picture. They have the power because they have an idol of themselves in their hand. They put their trust in a God, but it's the God that is themselves. Amos chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. Amos chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. You can't wait for the, fa- the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end up so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. In other words, alligator shoes. (laughs) And what would they do? Up all night. First thing in the morning, they're running out the door so they can violate the 8th and the 10th commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You must not steal. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's you know, house we got. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, the ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thou shall not covet. It's said by Dr. Dempster that this passage in Micah is the most direct commentary on coveting. So if you want a good example, like you see, thou shalt not covet, you're talk, talking to people about coveting, and, and you want a good example to show them what coveting is and what coveting does, take them right here to Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. The most direct commentary on coveting. The word used for stealing here is actually not, it, it's better translated seizing. Not stealing, seizing. Okay, it pictures them adding violence to their stealing. It's stealing with force. This word, Hebrew word, will later be used uh, as, we, as we move down to the next chapter. It's later going to be used to describe people skinning a person alive. Oh yeah, chapter three, we're going to talk about people skinning people alive. And they're going to use this very word, seizing. You're seizing their skin. Here, you are seizing their property. You are ripping this from them. Not just taking it, you are ripping it from them. In 1 Kings chapter 21, we see that famous story as to how Ahab and Jezebel, how Ahab essentially and Jezebel as the schemer, coveted to seize Naboth's vineyard, remember? Oh yeah, and the stuff they did, the despicable things they did in order to get that vineyard. He just had to have that vineyard. He took it by fraud. He took it by violence. We are commanded by God not to covet what our neighbors have. Envy and coveting is a sin, and a sin that strikes from the very heart of an individual, outwardly manifesting what is already in our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. Deuteronomy 5, 21. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, male or female, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to you your neighbor. This does not end here. One of the worst things about coveting is it never ends, it's never done, it's never satisfied. Never satisfied. And I've always put that satisfaction thing 
That with coveting. Every time I read coveting and I think about it, and there's all these things about coveting, that's the one thing that pops into my mind, you know, it's the never satisfied. Ever since I was in Bible college when I was young, Bible college, um, young in Bible college, I always thought of that song, right, by the Rolling Stones, you know, I can't get no satisfaction, right? Every time I read coveting, thou shalt not covet, I hear, thou, you know, I can't get no satisfactions, and I see the lips, you know, the Rolling Stone picture of the lips. That's the image I have in my head. There is no satisfaction, and never-ending coveting cares not and nothing for others. This is what's despicable. Number one, coveting is replacing God. So thou shalt not, you know, you should love your God with all your heart. That's not loving God. You know what else coveting does? It's not loving your neighbor either. There is no caring for others, caring nothing about how it's affecting others, caring nothing about what it's doing to your neighbor. And it all began in the heart. Isaiah, Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah. And he saw this happening as well when he said in Isaiah chapter 5, 8, Isaiah chapter 5, 8, what sorrow, again, alas, woe for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. Now, I used to think that living alone in the land was a bad thing. You do all this kind of stuff and here's the consequence, you're, you're alone now. No, no, that's not the, the emphasis of this. That's what he's meaning here is you buy up all the land that nobody else can be in the land. You've tossed all your neighbors out. This is not loving your neighbors. All by yourself, you own everything and everybody else has nothing and you've got everything. They coveted. They've seized violently and fraudulently the land, the houses, the properties, and the inheritances of the people in the land. The very thing the Lord has clearly forbidden and is making clear that it's something that's absolutely detestable to him. This is a really big deal. We see the indifference of the exploiters for the people who lose all this. And you know, if something like this were to happen today, it's still devastating, isn't it? Somebody were to take your house, somebody were to take your property, somebody were to take your inheritance. People do that. That is still devastating. It's still despicable today. But you got to understand in their cultural context, the context of ancient Israel and Judah, this meant everything. If they took this from you, they took everything. You guys ever heard the saying, this person just took, took me and took, took me out of house and home? Right, you guys have heard that saying. Some of us in Texas will say stuff like that. Took me for house and home. What does that mean? Took me for everything. Took everything. This meant everything. And I mean everything, family. Watch this. <laughs> this is why coveting is so bad. Because it motivates you to do something like this that's despicable. Now, unless like, you know, it's, and you look at the, the Ten Commandments and, and a lot of people will say, well, you know what, coveting is, is the last one, Shane. That means it's, the, it's the, the least. Oh, no, it is not the least. Family, coveting is a horrible, horrible, horrible sin. Because watch this, watch this. If you, if you forget everything, don't forget this. Watch this. It meant so much more then the physical structures. Obviously, it was about everything that connected to it. They were robbing people of the land with violence, not with brute force, but for foreclosures, buyouts, creditors, political policies, all of that stuff. Taking what they could get, but this was more than just economic consequences. There were theological and spiritual consequences as well. Really, Shane? Really? Shane, how so? Because the land and the inheritance came from who? Came from God. Do you guys see that? Oh, I hope you're with me here. It came from God. This, when God was dividing up the land and God was giving it to the people and as an inheritance and the keeper of the inheritance, all this stuff, this was a picture, a real example that God wanted to show the people and to teach the people about his generosity so that people could thrive, people could flourish with their share of the divine blessing that was given. 
the land and the portion was a picture of God wanting to bless his people, a picture of his compassion, of his generosity, and you just robbed the people of the gift that God had given to teach us about his desire to fulfill our desires and what God desires to show us about his faithfulness. You just snatched the word of God right out of their hand. All the promises that God had given them that they had to hold on to, you just snatched it out of their hand. This is God's desire for us. us. Everyone has his part. And God wanted to bless his people and to give them gifts. And so he goes, this whole land is a gift to you, my people. And this is how we're going to divide it so there's an equal share among all of you. And then in that share that I'm giving, I'm going to continue to bless you so that you can flourish. You can prosper in the land, in the gift of picture of my generosity that I'm giving to you. And the faithfulness that I'm going to hold you. And the faithfulness that that I want to give to you and extend to you. And now you, dead men. Men walking, you have robbed them. And let me tell you this, if they lose faith in me, if they lose trust in me, if they start to doubt my faithfulness, I will hold you accountable for their destruction. Wow, family, do we realize that? When we covet and we take something from another person, we are robbing them of the blessing that God had given them. History has shown. I mean, if you look at world history and you just follow world history from the beginning when we started an account, this kind of stuff is what causes all the civil unrest, the calamity, the war, because we are not content with what the Lord has given to us. So God separates the land. God gives everybody an equal portion of the land You're sitting in the part of the land. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to do well in what God had given you. But you're sitting back there going, I don't think this is enough. I I think I need that land over there. Well, you know, and then you got guys that are like me that are dumb enough to be like, well, we can trade. Right? No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not talking about trading, Shane. I like my land. I just want yours too. And I want, I want Scott's too. And Al's, Al's got a nice piece of land. I want that too. I'm not willing to give up nothing of mine. I want his too. And we're not content with what it is that God had given us. Wow. So the conflict continues. The conflict intensifies. All the conflict demoralizes. Don't think that the plight in our country today, you know, and and I know that a lot of people will say that, you know, if you look at the unrest, the homelessness, you know, the poverty, all that kind of stuff with the things in our country, you know, that stuff is laziness. It's victim mentality. It's hopelessness. They're the ones that quit. They're the ones that's given up. They're the ones that's all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying that that's not part of it. What I am saying today, it's it's not all of it. Maybe the reason why these people are in this situation that they're in is because you took from them what they worked so hard to get. You took it from them. You weren't, it wasn't okay for you to just have what you had. You had to have what they had too. Yeah, God gave you $100. He gave them $5. But you couldn't handle the fact that they got $5. So you had to figure out a way to get that $5. And you keep taking from them. You keep snatching this stuff from them. Greed continues to go and it keeps being ripped from their hands. The stuff is taken. It's seized. Covenant destroys. And people will blame God because of it. And you better believe God is going to hold us responsible for it. You see, coveting is a nasty, nasty sin. It's a horrible sin. It affects more than just yourself and your relationship with God. It affects others, your relationship with them and their relationship with God. Oh, man. I hope you guys are seeing this. This is, this is just what just jumps right out of the page. People will not have, people will lose faith in God. People will not believe. People will not have faith. 
People will blame God for the situation. So people will not trust God. They will be judged for it and they're going to be judged for it because of you. That's what God is saying. Coveting is, oh, dear family, hear me. The extent and depravity of what we call coveting. Do we not realize why it's so bad to envy another person and envy what another person has? It's not only because we will scheme and possibly try to seize what belongs to another, but we may be actually robbing them of what the Lord had given to them and what he had promised to them. I remember in school once when I was in elementary school, there was this kid who his parents bought him this transformer thing. You know, it was a truck and then it would turn into a robot. And I remember this was a huge deal because I asked for that very same thing for my birthday for Christmas. My mom like looked at the price of that thing and she says, are you crazy? I know this thing was expensive. Yeah, this was an expensive gift. And I know the sacrifices that the parents had to make in order to get him that gift. By the end of the day, the gift was gone. Somebody in our class stole it. And I'll I'll never forget this to this day. The very next day at school, dad was in front of the class. And literally threatening our lives in the life of whoever it was that stole that toy that he needs to give it back. And he was cool. He was just like, hey, you know what you can do? You can just be sneaky about it, slide it under this, or, you know, whatever, uh, so nobody knows who it is. But I'm just letting you guys know, if I find out who you are, I do not care how old you are. I don't care what happens to me. I've been in, in and out of prison. I'm, I'm good with going back if I have to. You guys give that toy back. Oh, man. That's, that's our father, our earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their kids. How much more our heavenly father? And let me add one more thing to that. How much worse do you think it will be if you take that gift from our heavenly father's child? This is a horrible thing. It's clear in our culture that we have a mission to satisfy greed. And we don't care about what the consequences are. But greed cannot be satisfied. It is a quote-unquote God that will never have its full. Oh, yeah, and it's idolatry. You would think, oh, well, Shane, you you know, it's bad and all that kind of stuff. It's rebellion, yes, but it's not idolatry. Oh, yeah. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Do not be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. It causes us today to do the despicable, the unthinkable, to trade away our inheritance to rob a person of true revelation, intention, character, and promise of God. Do not think that causing a person to lose heart and to lose trust in Christ is a small thing. This kind of stuff is what happens, and this causes individuals to lose their faith, to lose their trust in Christ, and you think that you're not going to be judged for it? Oh, my Lord. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. You remember that passage of Scripture? Remember it, man. That's, that is an enlightening thing. Because, family, I, I try to think, just try to think, is there any worse way to die? I mean, I always think about this. Is there any worse way to die? I mean, I'm sure there are, but man, I mean, for me, I'm drowning is just, uh, ah. And then having a millstone tied around your neck. Uh, Jesus is saying it's going to be worse for you. Are we coveting on our beds at night, desiring, envying, lusting for things that do not belong to us? Are we waking up first thing in the morning and enacting our schemes, how we can get all that we are coveting from the night before, rushing into evil, doing what is detestable to God? Many of us have the ability to do evil 
and we desire it, and we are going to abuse the power we have to take from others what the Lord had given to show them the faithfulness of his promises? We get it, and we get it through manipulation. We lie, we scheme, sometimes by threats and by force, blackmailing people out of these types of things. By force, awful behavior because of this awful thing called coveting. It's not like it take, it, it'll, it'll take a while in our modern culture to recognize the evil of coveting in the world. And family, we see the evil of coveting in the church. Wow. Something as evil and as horrible as coveting, and we see it just running and having its day in the church. I've been privy to ministries, family, ministries who have no concern about lying to people who have little and take what little they have. I remember being told by individuals, hey, you know what? This is the deal. I know if they, if, if they have you know, $20 to their name, that's okay. We can still use that. We need that. And you know what? When they give it, God will bless them. And I always pull out the Bible and I just say, can you show me where? I remember one evangelist we're watching and he actually said, some of you here today, you've got $2,000 in the bank and that's all the money you got in your name. That's okay. Today, in faith, sow that seed to this ministry. Give all of it. Give, 2, 000, give the $2,000, all the money you have in your bank. You put it in this offering today and you help this ministry go out and further the kingdom. Give it all to us while he's there with his alligator shoes and his Armani suit that just got off, that he just bought off the rack, standing there. Support everything that we have. Give it all. And if you do this, I guarantee you, God will bless you with double what you give today. But I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills. That's okay. That's unbelief. That's not faith. You put that money in the bucket right now. All for what? All for what, family? Coveting in the church. Absolutely ripping away what people have just so that we can have. Manipulating, lying, cheating our way to all of this. And are they in the position... Yeah, because they're a church leader and they're in their position and they're taking part or taking advantage of the position that they have. Well, we got to do it because pastor said that we got to do it, so let's do it. I mean, it doesn't work here at Central Baptist Church, but, you know, it's happening out there. (laughs) Here's the thing, without even realizing it, Do we not realize that the $2,000 they have in their bank account was a blessing from God and a gift from God and you just ripped it away from them? Oh, you think you're not going to be judged for it? Oh, family. The one thing that I feel like is is pretty funny that I have to say this, but I feel like for a, a lot of pastors in our country today, I'm one of the few that actually believe what the Bible says. I'm terrified. I don't even want to be anywhere near when judgment comes down on these preachers. I don't want to even be close to it, man. I I don't even want to see it. I I will be, I, I just, family, I just am horrified in thinking what's going to happen to these individuals. Why? Because family coveting is a horrible, horrible thing. The judgment of God will come upon us Because of it, the Lord will reward our evil with evil. This is a scary way to announce what what God is going to do. You know what? This phrase, this Hebrew phrase here is really scary. Verse 3. Verse 3, it essentially says, Since you are up all night devising and scheming evil things, I will be up all night devising and scheming how I will reward you for it. (laughs) 
Family, I, when, I, when I did this and I translated this, it hit me hard. It hit me hard. This is a scary, scary thing. I am going to do to you what you're doing to these people. You plotted evil and I am plotting your disaster. You won't be able to talk your way out of this. You will not be able to stop what's coming. You think you're good. You think that you know, you're fine because you walk around proudly. You're not going to be able to walk around proudly. I will put you to shame. You are going to be ridiculed by me. It will all be taken from you and it's all going to be given to traitors. you're going to lose it all. But this is what's even more. When we see the, the actual fulfillment of this, you know, when the Assyrians came and, you know, sacked Israel and then the Babylonians came and destroyed Judah, all this stuff. Yeah, all of that stuff was taken. They had nothing. They were given, I mean, nothing. It was all taken away and it was given. All the spoils were given to Babylon, to Assyria, to all this stuff. It all happened. But here's the thing that's even more terrifying there are eternal consequences to this. Well, you think it's just you're going to get stripped of everything that you have. Oh, no. You are going to strip, you are going to be stripped of everything that you could have had. You know? That's why the message you, get, you see clear in the, in the scriptures. I mean, life is, is precious. And the Psalms always talks about it. You know, thank you, Lord, for reminding us just how short our life is. But you do know, just FYI, do know that when you die, everything that you've acquired here on earth, you're not going to take it with you. You're going to lose it all. One day you're going to lose it all. I love what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Yes, you're going to lose everything and all of them stuff, all the wealth that you have amassed, everything, Everything that you got is all going to go to people who never worked a second for it. It's all going to go to people who don't deserve it. <laughs> That's your reward. Good job. You know, you were frugal. <laughs> you were frugal. You just all this stuff. You did all this stuff to acquire the wealth. You think your, your, your heirs are going to? <laughs> one, of my, one of my friends, very wealthy friend, uh, he was talking, we were talking. And he's, he's talking about a, a, a guy who is kind of his mentor. And he said, <laughs> you, he goes, do you, not, do you not fly first class? Oh, no, no, I don't want to fly first class because, you know, that's just wasting money. I don't need to fly first class. You know, I got to save money, make sure that I leave a good inheritance for my children. And he said, he looked at him and he says, this, this is some advice I got, I'm going to give you. If you don't fly first class, your heirs will. <laughs> you don't take it with you. But not only that, family, you get something else that's going to be added to you, which is nothing in the afterlife. Nothing when it's all said and done. C.S. Lewis said, if you aim at heaven, that's your goal is heaven. Aim at heaven earth will be thrown in you aim at earth and you get neither this is what coveting will get you in the end nothing you will lose it all and not only that but because of God's judgment is coming God's judgment is coming because of the sins that we commit. It's no secret. The wages of sin is death. No one is exempt from this because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. No one is righteous. No, not one. There is judgment. Judgment is coming. It's clear in the scriptures. Judgment is real. Judgment is coming. And judgment will be terrible. It will be. Okay, Shane, you, you said a lot. Man, I am convicted. I, I, I've done it. I, I see it now. I am so sorry. I'm so wrong. I, I, I see the judgment is coming. I feel it. I recognize it. I know it. I can feel the guilt in my heart. I can feel all of this stuff. Shane, the question I have for you is this. 
is there still hope for me? Can I be saved? And my answer that I get to tell you today is this. Yes. You can be saved today, family. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. There is hope for us today. And did you know that the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all of God's promises are yes and amen. Believe in the Lord today and we will have life and life more abundant. This is the truth of the gospel. It is the word of God. When heaven and earth passes away, the word of God will still remain. God's word will stand. His word for you will still remain true. And his promises, again, are still yes and amen. And your inheritance here on earth may be taken, but the inheritance that you have in heaven will never be shaken. Oh, man. The many mansions in heaven are guarded and built by the king of kings. You have a house in heaven and nobody's taking that away. Nobody is taking that from us. Christ will keep us because Christ is true. Christ will remain faithful. He will always be faithful. Let's pray.
Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.